Luke chapter 6, where we are working our way through the 6th chapter of Luke. So you can find that on page 1187 in the Pew Bible in front of you. We're going to uh, refresh our memory on where we are, and then we're going to jump to Matthew 18. So if you want to just move your hand to Matthew 18, we'll be getting there, and we'll spend the majority of our time this morning in Matthew 18. Luke 6, 1187, Matthew 18. That'll be page 1134. We're in this series that I'm calling Radical simply because Jesus, as He deals with the uh, reality of the kingdom of God that He has brought to earth in this uh, Sermon on the Mount, what we find is that everything He has to say is so radically different from what we are used to or what we are accustomed to or what the world might say is normal. And when these truths are applied to your life or when I apply these truths to my life, they will turn me upside down and they are a truly uh, amazing truth. So let's read together Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27, Luke six twenty-seven. Jesus says, but I say unto you who hear... Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. For if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Let's pray. Father, I ask you right now, Lord, to help us, help me, Lord, to communicate clearly the amazing truth that is presented here before us, Lord. We We recognize this as your word. This is your holy, inspired, inerrant word that is intended for us, Lord. And so may we receive it as it was intended today. May you do and accomplish the work in us that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. What I'd like for us to take note of is I'd like for us to take note of the way Jesus shifts gears after verse 31 and beginning in verse 32. That he is giving us this discourse. He shows up on the scene with a message of blessing. Blessed are the poor. He shows up saying there is a way of blessing and those who are in accordance with this way can live a life of blessing and blissfulness, joy, happiness. But it's not what we would expect. It's those who are poor, poor in spirit. It's those who are mournful, mournful of the, the things that go on around us. And he says that we're to love our enemies. But as he is speaking about loving our enemies, 
he changes gears a little bit. There's a shift, you see, as, as he gets to verse 32. And then he begins to bring up these issues of debt and repayment and entitlement. And if you are a uh, person who enjoys reading through Scripture, in other words, if you're a Christian, amen, and you read through the Bible... And when you begin to read through the New Testament, what you'll find is that there's always this correlation, especially when Jesus is speaking, it's very clear. Paul does the same thing in the book of Romans and in the book of Ephesians. But when Jesus is speaking, there's a clear correlation between loving your enemies, forgiving those who have wronged you, and this issue of indebtedness. That's why Jesus goes into this uh, uh, lend to those who cannot repay you. Do not look for things in return. And it seems like it's a little out of place until you begin to understand the biblical model of forgiveness and the impossibility of loving your enemy apart from forgiveness. Now, I want us to look in Matthew chapter 18 where this principle is given in, in greater detail and it's much clearer. And as I walk us through this this morning, my prayer is that you'll be able to see clearly what God is trying to communicate to us. And I want you to understand, before we get into this, that there is so much here that I could say. And trust me, uh, I would like to say, but I cannot say, uh, because we do want to go to Sunday school today and we do want to have lunch together after Sunday school, which we are going to do. But I will not be able to say everything there is to say on this issue. There is simply too much. So I'm asking God to just go before me and to do the work that only He can do. And let's just see what God has for us in this passage. In Matthew 18, I want you to look beginning in verse 21. And I want you to see that just previous to this section, it's important to follow this, follow with me through Matthew 18 and watch what God unfolds for us to see. He just finished, he meaning Jesus, just finished this simple discourse on how to deal with an offended brother, how to deal with someone who is in sin, how to go to them one-on-one. Jesus says you don't go and you don't gossip about them when somebody hurts you, you don't slander them. You go to them and, and you reconcile with them. And if they won't listen, then you take someone with you. And the point that Jesus is making here is be relentless, that all of us as believers are to be relentless in our pursuit of restoration. Amen? It is a relentless pursuit of restoration. Now, as He is teaching these principles, His disciples are listening. And Peter is hearing what Jesus is saying about this relentless pursuit of restoration and this process that needs to take place. And he begins to think about things in his own life. He begins to, to be convicted and begin to, to sort of bring forward these memories of things that have been perpetrated against him. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 21. So Peter came to him and said, Lord... How often shall my brother, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Meaning, hey, this is great, seven times. I mean, the rabbinic law was three times. We're going to double that, add one, seven times. I'm doing good. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Uh oh. So, so much for that great illustration of forgiveness that Peter was going to offer forth. And Jesus says, no. Here again, this is the relentless pursuit 
of reconciliation, of restoration, of forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the surest and most shocking characteristics of the kingdom that Jesus has come to earth to establish. So let's go through as Jesus now, you'll see exactly how this fits in with Luke chapter 6. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Again, if you didn't understand this principle, you'd think, you know, I'm sure Peter's going, well, what's this got to do with? How come we're always going to this debt issue? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven... This kingdom that I've come to to teach you about, to establish on earth, is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Just like we saw in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. And so there's this kingdom of the world and there's this kingdom of heaven. And these two kingdoms operate on different planes. They operate with different... Uh, with different structures and different economies. And God's saying, this is a new kingdom with a new economy and it is driven by forgiveness. And there is this outrageous generosity put forth by the king of this kingdom. So Jesus illustrates that, verse 24. So speaking of this king who had set, wanted to settle debts with his servants, and when he had begun to settle the accounts... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent simply is a measure of silver, okay? A talent. I don't mean like tap dancing or playing the kazoo. This is a totally different kind of talent, all right? This is an amount of money. Some teenagers in here are going, did he say kazoo? What is a kazoo? But anyway, some of us old people know what that is. So a talent is basically represents a week's wage, Okay, so just for simplicity here, this, if you were just a crazy mathematician and you wanted to just go forward in today's economy, this is roughly four billion dollars. Okay, this is an enormous amount of money. Okay, you might as well say that this servant owed the king our deficit. Amen. It's not going to be paid anytime soon. That's another sermon. Verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Now, before we just move past this, I want you to begin to identify with this servant. I want you to identify with this one who comes before the king. The king has brought him forth and said, listen, you owe me 10,000 talents. Obviously, there's no possible way this man is going to produce $4 billion to pay back this debt. But... When the king responds with, well, you can't pay the debt. And so therefore, you're going to be sold into slavery and your wife and your children. Imagine the hopelessness of this moment. In other words, here is my family. It's not just me now, but it's everyone that I love. It's everyone around me who's going down for this, uh, this indiscretion that I have made, this problem that I have created. And now we're all going down together. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell before him saying, master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. If you'll just give me some time, master, if you'll just give me a little, a little space here, I'll pay you and I won't just pay you some, but I'll pay you all. Now that's just simply not true. There's no way he's going to pay $4 billion. It's just not going to happen. But he begins to plead, I'll, I'll pay you, I'll pay you all. And isn't that exactly what happens 
to you and me when we disregard the gospel in our own lives. In other words, think about how people that we talk to every day, maybe some people in this room will say, God, thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the blessing. But if you just, if you just give me some more time, I'm just not ready to make a commitment to you. I just need some more time. As if somehow time is going to allow you or me to be able to sort of uh, get good enough or accomplish enough things to reduce our debt to some workable level. No. That's exactly what we do. Give me some more time and I'll save myself. I talk to people every single week. And when I begin to share the gospel with them, it's the same song and dance. It's, well, I'm just not ready or I'm just not sure or you just don't understand. I mean, there's always this this plea for something. But really and truly, in light of the debt that a lost sinner has occurred, what good would time do? None. And this servant begins to plead and beg and promise something that he simply cannot deliver. And it's important for us to see that. Paul, on this same line of thinking, this throughout the New Testament in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. You know what that means? That means to him who works. That means to him who tries to earn grace in God. To him who tries to do things to get the favor of God. To him, it's not grace. It doesn't work that way. You can't work off this debt. So look at what happens in verse 27. So then, then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. And he released him and forgave him the debt. Now... What I want us to to see here is I want us to begin by saying what forgiveness is not. Okay? Just a couple simple things forgiveness is not before we move forward. The first thing forgiveness is not, it is not pretending that it never happened. Forgiving a debt is not ignoring the fact that something has occurred, that a debt does exist. That is not forgiveness. That is not canceling a debt. It leaves... Because here's why, and I want you to think about this. Oftentimes, we will sort of play around. We'll get in the neighborhood of forgiveness. And here's what we'll do. We'll just try to pretend that it never happened. See, there's some some people, maybe in this room today, and you have been hurt by some other people... Maybe even in this room today. And so what you do is you think, well, I've forgiven them. And every time you see them, there's awkwardness. There's awkwardness. There's people that you run into. And when you look, you try not to look them in the eye. You try to avoid them because you just want to really, there's not been forgiveness. You just want to forget it. It never, you just want to pretend it never happened. That's not forgiveness. Now listen, there's some situations, maybe even in this room today, where there's been some real hurt perpetrated against you by somebody who seriously had malicious intent against you. And here's what happens. You still see them or still in contact with them or still around them or still related to them. And what you do is you two just pretend it never happened. And here's the great danger in that. It opens a door for it to happen again. Forgiveness is not pretending something never happened. Number two, forgiveness is not admitting that what was done is not wrong. In other words, one of the big obstacles to forgiveness this morning is going to be this thing in our heart that wants to say, no, if I, if I forgive, somehow I'm condoning what they've done. 
somehow I'm saying that what they've done was not that bad or that it was okay. You see, if, if especially when there's a circumstance where you are, are hurt over something someone's done to you and the other person says that what they did wasn't wrong. Therefore, you begin to wall yourself up and say, well, I can't forgive them. You see, because if I forgive them, I prove that they're right and that it really wasn't wrong. That's a lie from the enemy. It is not forgiveness. Okay, so let's move forward. Verse 28. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. So this one who's been forgiven of billions of dollars, he went out and found one of his own fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, now, just for the sake so that you, you're able to understand how, how small this is, this is one six hundred thousandth of the debt that he was just forgiven. So basically, it's a buck fifty. Are you with me? He's owed a dollar fifty by one of his fellow servants. That's what a hundred denarii is. And what does he do? The Bible says he laid his hands on him, grabbed him by his throat and said, pay me what you owe me. Interesting. His fellow servants, verse 29, fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you all. The same lie he told the king. Same exact words. Same identical phrase. Have, have patience with me and I will repay you all. Verse 30. But he would not. But he went and he threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. Now, if, if you uh, are a good Christian, you write in your Bible like good Christians do, then here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to underline in verse 30 the words, would not. And then I want you to write out in the margin somewhere and with a big star so that you always remember this, that it doesn't say could not. It says would not. And that's a huge difference. Because the Bible doesn't say that he could not forgive him. It said he would not. Again, this parable is an illustration of decision. And this servant would not. He decided that he would not and he had him thrown into prison. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they're standing around watching the way that he's acting. They were very grieved and they came and told their master, the king, all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him in, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him, which is never going to happen. Verse 35. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses Jesus ends with. Now, in verse 35, there's sort of this this culmination of everything that's just been said. And I want you to pay close attention. I want you to see this phrase from his heart. Because Jesus now kind of takes the story and brings it back home to who he's talking to, you and me. And he begins to bring home exactly who's who in this parable, in this story that he just told. He says, so my heavenly father will also do to each of you, each of you, if from your heart. Now, God forgives how? From his heart. That's how God forgives. And he requires us to forgive 
from our heart. God never requires us to do something He doesn't do, that He hasn't done. It's important to know that, that if you're a Christian, God has forgiven you from His heart. Now, why is that so important? Because there's some of you in this room that you know who you need to forgive this morning? Yourself. Yourself. That you are in bondage and bitterness towards things that you have done, things in your past, things that you have perpetrated, people that you've hurt, that you now love, that you want things to be right, but they just never seem to get right. And there's all this tension and this awkwardness and you hate it and it reminds you all the time and you just beat yourself up and beat yourself up. Can I just let you in on a little something this morning? If you're a believer, if you're forgiven, if you're born again, God forgave you from His heart. He forgave you from His heart. He doesn't hold that over you. He's not lording that over you. He doesn't look down and see you and see that. He sees the blood of His perfect Son, Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When He looks at you, you've been forgiven from God's heart. And He's asking us to do what He does, what He's already done. And that's, that's so important for us to see. Notice this contrast. I mean... The, the, in verse 32, we, we see this, this wicked servant. And, and in, in Luke 6, in the passage we looked at last week, we see Jesus say, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be not a wicked servant, your reward will be great, you'll be sons and daughters of the Most High. In other words, look at the two, look at the, what the difference between a wicked servant and a son and a daughter. If you're in the kingdom, if you're his son or his daughter, he's forgiven you from his heart. He is the perfect father. Any decent father, anyone that anyone in this room would even characterize as a decent earthly father would never hate their own son or daughter. We're talking about a perfect father. No father on earth can ever compare to this father. So listen, you've been forgiven from your Heart. But how many times do we say things like, or do we hear people say things to us like, I know I need to forgive them, but I know that I've got to get past this, but I just can't. And so there are these reasons that we find for not forgiving or for waiting or for pushing things off or for asking for patience that we might have more time. So these, what are these reasons that we, we find not to forgive? Well, the first one is that we rationalize our unforgiveness. In other words, we tell ourselves lies. Peter, this whole conversation starts because Peter is trying to find a loophole in what Jesus said. Jesus comes forward with this radical demand that we just forgive relentlessly. And Peter's first response as he's thinking about this is just like you and me. We start thinking... But there's got to be a loophole. There's got to be something that could be done. There's got to be something so bad that we don't forgive. And so we rationalize our unforgiveness. So here's some ways that we do that. We say things like the hurt is just too big. See, Brother Tony, the, the hurt is so big. And it probably is. But here's what I always think when I hear that. I always think, then shouldn't it be more urgent to forgive? 
In other words, the bigger it is, doesn't that make the urgency increase? How about this one? I can't forgive until I forget. I mean, it's not even logical. It doesn't even make sense. The truth is, you'll never forget until you forgive. But somehow we rationalize that and we think, well, I just, you know, how about this one? Time will heal my wound. No, it won't. No, it won't. Here's what time's going to do. It's going to bury your wound deeper and deeper. It's going to dull your senses. It is going to begin to fade, but it's not healing. It's not a good fade. It's a bad fade. It's just there. It's just getting pushed down so that whenever the volcano erupts, it's going to spring right back to the forefront, isn't it? That's what's going to happen. Time's not going to heal it. How about this one? I will forgive when they apologize. Yeah. You know, when we're hurt, that makes so much sense to us. But just think about it. Who holds the power in that relationship? See, here you are broken and hurting and bitter and filled with unforgiveness. And the person who's probably not even thinking about you, who's moved on with their life and they're doing their own thing, you have given them all the power that I'm not going to get healing, I'm not going to get well, I'm not going to get right until they come and forgive and then ask for forgiveness. And even when they do, all of us can give testimony of people who have heard us and come to us and asked for forgiveness. And guess what? The, the apology really didn't heal anything. It just didn't. It's just not true. How about this one? I'll forgive. If I forgive them, they'll do it again. As if somehow your bitterness or my bitterness is some way a deterrent to somebody whose aim is to hurt people. No, it's not. It's just not rational. It's, it's, it's us trying to just rationalize and, and make up things in our own head that seem logical to us. The second thing we do is we underestimate the destructive power of unforgiveness. You see, that's the second reason we don't forgive. When we're done rationalizing, then we start moving forward. We start carrying this baggage around with us and we just completely underestimate its destructive power. Notice what the Bible said in verse 28. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred denarii, this dollar fifty. Basically, you know, he owed him a, a Coke zero. And then, he, and then he put his hands around his neck and began choking him. Now, I, this isn't in the text. I'm just throwing this out there for free, Okay. Uh, first of all, I typically loan things, including money, to people that I know in some way. I, I typically don't uh, loan to people that I don't know. I just typically don't do that. Sometimes I guess I would, but the, the, the first thing that I sort of see in here it, that's in between the lines is that there's been a relationship broken. That see, he went out and found this servant that he had some relationship with before and begins choking him. Now, I don't know about you, but if you begin to choke me, our friendship's in jeopardy. Okay? I'm just going to let you know that. It just is. I'm not big on people trying to choke me. All right? So, this relationship is the first thing we see that begins to just explode. But there's more. Look at what happens in in verse 31. So, when his fellow servants saw what he had done... They were very grieved. In other words, look at the destructive power of unforgiveness. Now the people around him are seeing the way he is acting wrongly and that it grieves them. When you and I don't forgive, we grieve the heart of the people around us. Because here's what happens. We think that they can't see that we're bitter. 
we think that they don't know that we are unforgiving. But we're wrong. We're lying to ourselves. Do you know why? Because quite simply, unforgiveness is saying, I am going to make you pay. You see, you've done something to me and I'm going to make you pay. There's been a debt established. And in order for me to do that, I've got to hate you in my heart. I've got to hope for bad things to happen. I've got to rejoice when you face troubles. I must harbor bitterness and anger to, to sustain my unforgiveness and my, my bitterness. And somehow it's going to help me justify my pain. Now let me ask you a question. There you are, making someone pay, with hate in your heart, harboring bitterness and anger. Does that sound like somebody you want to hang around? Do you think that if the person sitting next to you were this person, you wouldn't know that? So the question is, the person sitting where you are, you know, the one in your seat, the one wearing the same exact outfit you're wearing this morning, that person looks exactly like you when you look at them in the mirror. If that person's bitter, everyone around them knows that. They know that. It's not a secret. You cannot conceal your unforgiveness. It simply doesn't. The Bible teaches this over and over and over. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. Watch what the Bible says. And by this, many become defiled. You know what that means? That doesn't mean that many will become defiled because of this. That means you will cause the people around you by your bitterness to become defiled. In other words, it is like walking around with a communicable disease, coughing and wiping everything all over everyone you see. Because listen, it's the way it works. That's how bitterness works. And you know that in your heart when you see it in other people. The problem, the goal this morning is to look at ourselves. Because we see this everywhere else, but it's so hard to see it when we look in the mirror. Many a man has lost his wife because he hated his boss. Many a mom has lost her kids because she hated her father. Many a person has lost his friends because he hated his enemies. You will suffer great harm and loss if you harbor unforgiveness. Do not underestimate the destructive power of unforgiveness. Now, the question that needs to be answered is who do we need to forgive? I mean, where do we need to go with this? Understand this, that a debt has been created. Whenever you or I are wounded, there's a debt that's created in our in our heart, in our life, in our consciousness. Someone who hurts me owes me something. They owe you something. And the debt is real. And Jesus doesn't say, well, just forget what's been done to you. You're overreacting. That's not what he says. Now, it seems like Paul says that in Ephesians, but if you study it closely, you see it's not. But, but, but Paul just commands that we forgive as if it's just this. He just says you have to do it. But what Paul means is there's just no other alternative that you have to get here. And so Jesus doesn't say that. The servant owed the king a fortune. Are you with me? In the story, right? It's important. He owed him a fortune, right? But it wasn't just a random fortune, was it? No. It was exactly how much? 10,000 talents. You know why? Because when you and I get hurt, we establish a debt. And Jesus is saying, and you know the debt. The debt is real. There's an amount. 
That every hurt in this room, you have affixed an amount to that hurt in your life. And the Bible understands that. That's why it didn't just say, well, the servant owed him a fortune. It said exactly what it was because the debt is real. And it is something. It does stand for something. So the people or the person that we need to forgive, the question is, what do they owe you? Think about what specifically do they owe you? You see, is it your childhood that's been robbed? Is it your marriage that has failed? I mean, have you lost the ability to put your kids to bed at night because of what he or she has done? You see, has there been, there's been some debt. There's been some, some, something has happened because of this offense that has been perpetrated and it's real. And there's an amount and it's something. And maybe you're the only one who knows it, but it is something. You know what? Your sin is real. My sin is real. Jesus didn't just come along and, and, and say, well, there's this debt out there of sin. God didn't just say, I'm just going to send my son down there for this, some random amount of debt. No, the Bible's very specific. See, Jesus came for your debt, my debt. Now, he paid all of mine and all of yours. But it was still your debt and my debt. Your debt's not my debt and my debt's not your debt. Are you with me? It's specific debt. Notice what, what Jesus is teaching us here is that the debt exists. And here's the question I always ask in my heart. Well, if the debt exists and if the debt is real, who pays the debt? Because I have been hurt. You ever felt that way? Who pays it? Who's responsible for it? Well, you would think the one who perpetrated it, the one who did it. But go back to our story, verse 27. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and he released him and forgave him all the debt. Who paid the debt? The king. The king is the one, the master pays the debt. So tomorrow morning when we wake up and when we go to work and you're going to go to work and I'm going to go to work and we're going to begin to work and many of us will work maybe by the hour or by the week or whatever the case may be but you're going to go to work and the reason you go to work is because when you go to work you earn a wage because that's what you earn when you go to work a wage is something that is earned so the bible says the wages of sin is death in other words when you sin you earn death but the gift the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, that debt is real. That wage is earned. But it's forgiven as a gift, as total and utter forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. First John 4.10 says, "Is This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, this accounting term that means full payment for our sins. It is a specific amount. It's the propitiation of my sin and your sin. And God knows what they are. He knows every one of them. In other words, the day you got saved, it wasn't just this, oh, well, I know they've done some things wrong. He knew it all. The Bible says His eyes watch and see everything that goes on. He knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Understand, this isn't just some random blanket thing. This is personal between you and God. God was personal with you at forgiveness. God was there with you when you were suffering. He was there when I was using His name in vain. He was there when I was a lawless lawbreaker, when I was trying to steal His glory, when I was trying to live and build my own kingdom. He was there. He knew it. He saw it. 
He knew everything I'd done. And the day He saved me, He forgave me specifically for all those things and everything I would do in the future. And the same is true for you. Hallelujah! God forgave us. Specifically and individually from His heart. You see, we're not going to stand before God someday. And we're not going to say, God, well, the reason I couldn't forgive was. You know, God, the reason I just couldn't get past this was. No. There's not going to be a reason. There's not going to be any excuse. Now, I know that many of you have been hurt deeply. I am not underestimating the hurt that has been perpetrated against you in any way, shape, or form. I am simply trying to bring your attention to the glorious magnification of the forgiveness that has been granted. You see, it's real pain. Forgiveness and trust are not the same things. They're just simply not. Some of you need to forgive someone who's simply not trustworthy, okay? Does that make sense? See, some of you don't understand that because that's not you. But if you're here this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you were hurt when you were young and you were defenseless. And you have real trust issues here this morning. And they have followed you around all your life. Listen to me. I'm not telling you to trust that person. I'm telling you to forgive that person. There's a difference. Forgiveness is not opening yourself up for more pain. It's healing from pain. How do you know when you've forgiven someone? Well, for me, it's pretty simple. I stopped talking about the situation to others, but the most important thing is I stopped talking about the situation to myself. You see, because if you're still going around and around in your mind, you know you have the little arguments every time you're laying in bed or you're in the shower, and you win every single argument, and you always say the right thing, and they always look horrible, and other people are watching going, Ooh, isn't he awesome? You hadn't forgiven. You wouldn't laugh if you wasn't with me. You'd go, I don't get that. What's he talking about? Because you know. Okay, let's close this down. Look at verse 34. And the master was angry because of this unforgiveness and delivered him to the torturers. And you know what? You say to yourself, man, that is harsh. That's just too harsh, Tony. Well, I don't know your story. I don't know what's been done to you, but I don't need to know because he knows. God knows. God knows. You, you don't need to, to stand up and say, if you knew what happened to me, you'd understand. No, God knows and He understands and He wrote this. I didn't. And so, through forgiveness, God has put us in a position that really makes it impossible for anyone else to ruin our lives. I know that's a big statement. But it's true. If you have been forgiven, if you are a son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, can you just please hear this this morning? It is impossible for any earthly power to ruin your life. It's impossible. Now you might say, my life has been ruined, to which I would respond and say, all things work together for good. That you don't know how God's going to use you. That listen, what I'm trying to say is, let's get out of yesterday and let's live for now, tomorrow. Let's start fresh now and go forward. In other words, in the forgiveness we've Receive. God has a plan and a purpose for every life. He wants to magnify His glory in your life. So let's get with it. Let's get busy. Let's get on the plan. Let's move forward. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this certain king 
Last thing I want you to see. My favorite word in the whole parable in verse 23. Therefore, Jesus begins, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted. He wanted to settle the debt. There's no one in this story who comes running up to the king and says, King, by the way, I know you don't know this, but I owe you a bunch and I want to get forgiveness for what I owe you. That's not how this works. Who initiated the forgiveness? The king. The king. And he didn't just initiate. He didn't just wake up one day and say, here's what I'm going to... He wanted to. So our forgiveness was initiated by the king who wanted to. Forgiveness is a decision. It starts a process of healing that begins with a decision. And the decision is initiated by the one who is owed the debt. In the story, the king is owed the debt and he wanted to. This morning, you've been hurt. You're the one who's owed the debt. It's going to begin with you. You've got to initiate. You've got to want to. You've got to make a decision this morning. I'm done with bitterness. I'm done with unforgiveness. I'm finished harboring all of this anger inside I'm done. I'm giving it up. You'll never find freedom as long as you're focused on the people who have hurt you. You'll never be able to forgive as long as you're focused on the people who have hurt you. The only way to find freedom from forgiveness is to focus on the one who's forgiven you. That's the only way, folks. I'm not here telling you it's going to be easy. I'm simply here telling you that it is possible and that God's commanded it. And that it, the healing that you need is available to you today, right now. Because He wouldn't call us to do anything that He hasn't already done or made a way to do. So will you just stay seated and just bow your heads for a moment and let's just, let's just go through this prayer together as we close this service. Together as we're seated, let's just close our eyes and ask the Lord to help us. Father, will you please help us right now? Lord, as we ask the question, who is this face that I see right now? For some here, it's themselves. For some, it may be a, a parent or a coworker or a neighbor, a teacher, an acquaintance, or some stranger, criminal. But Lord, we see their face right now. We know, Lord, that they're the ones we need to forgive. God, would you do a work in us this morning? Would you do what we are unable to do apart from you? Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving my brothers and sisters when we were hopelessly in debt to you. And so empower us, Lord, to pray this prayer of freedom this morning. Lord Jesus, I forgive. I forgive this person. I forgive them for what they have done to me. I forgive all the hurt and all the pain. I forgive the lost relationships. I forgive the dignity that I have had stolen. I forgive all the suffering. And Lord, I lay it all down at your cross. Because God, as I begin the process of paying this debt in my heart, Lord, I cannot stray far from the cross where unsearchable riches were poured out upon my life, Lord. So I ask God, I draw on my account in salvation. Will you help me, Father, to forgive? Lord, thank you that what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, no one can take away. 
Now, Father, remind us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Will you bring freedom to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. As we stand, let's just ask God to give us the courage to respond to what He's calling us to do. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that you don't come to the altar and then remember that there's ought in your heart, that there's anger, bitterness in your heart towards your brother, but you go and you reconcile your brother and you come to him. So I encourage you to come to the altar this morning with a heart that says, God, I want to be clean. I want to be healed. I want to forgive. I want to forgive. I'm tired of living this way. And listen, if you, if you have not received forgiveness in Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? God is making available the payment for your hopeless debt. And I don't know any simpler way to put it, but that you have no hope of ever paying it. And the harder you try to earn His goodness and His favor, it's only accounted to you as works. It is not grace. But grace comes at the cross where Jesus died and bled for all of our sin. So may we partake in that forgiveness. Maybe today is your day to receive Christ as Savior, to join this family, to plant your family here with this family and be a part of where God is leading us. But will you come, come to the altar and just leave the bitterness, leave the anger, erase the debt this morning, I pray.